Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we are back with part two on the topic of workplace disability accommodations under the Title I of the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, which requires a U.S. employer to provide reasonable accommodations to qualified individuals with with disabilities who are employees or applicants for employment unless to do so would cause undue hardship. We're literally going to just pick up where we left off last week. So if you didn't hear part one, you definitely want to go back and listen to part one before listening to this episode, which is part two. As a recap in part one, we spoke about helpful resources such as askjan.org. We talked about the difference between accommodations and accessibility. We also discussed who must comply with Title I of the ADA as well as who is protected by Title I. We discussed how and when to make an accommodation request, and we established that every time we have flatulence, oh my gosh, I forgot about this, every time we have flatulence, a frog exit our anus. Ribbit. And of course, please don't forget that we are not disability lawyers or experts and that all the discussion today is just for general information only, and you should do your own research if you're in need of a workplace accommodation. All right, so today we're going to continue discussing the logistics to Title I, including medical documentation, telework, and what is reasonable versus unreasonable accommodation. And then as a reminder, in our next episode, we're going to have a discussion about self-worth so that we know that our needs truly matter and we feel empowered to ask for these accommodations that we really need. Something that's really important to this conversation is knowing the accommodations that you need when you're asking for them. So when you're asking your employer for accommodations, if you just say simply, I need accommodation, but don't offer actual concrete ways they can accommodate you. Then you watch your employer flounder (laughs) and tell you, "Uh, just lay down at your desk sometimes, I guess. (laughs) Just go lay down on the chair of the nursing room and you're like there's no place to lay down do you want me to lay down across the chair yes that's what they do you want, want me to lay down on the floor in front of the chair because i always find laying down at my desk under my desk because that didn't involve <laughs> walking down the hallway really slow with everyone staring at me to the nursing room and then feeling guilty that i was in the room when, the, when a person needed to nurse you know so it was actually a lot better for me to just like crawl under my cubicle hide under my cube Plus, I have a heating pad and portable a whole heat- little setup, a down portable there. heater there. So, and they're like, "No, it'd be better if you just lay down in the nursing room." God forbid somebody see you. The it'd be better are if more you important. just made a place where I could lay down, like my bed at home. Actually, that was one of my favorite things out when I used to be a teacher and I worked in high school. And then when I was on my breaks and it was and like on my lunch break or I didn't feel good, I would go down to the nurse's office and I'd be like, can I lay in a cot? And they'd oh, be like, nice. sure. And I would just lay in a cot and he'd be like, can you wake me up when this class period is over? And they're like, yes, we can. I'm oh, like, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> can you also take care of me and spoon feed me jello? <laughs> and they're like, yes, we can. Yes, like, we can do that. You. So, yeah, if you go into a conversation not knowing what you need, Two things are likely to happen. One is the employer is going to have nothing to offer because they don't even know what to do. (laughs) Or two, what they're going to offer is just not what you're looking for. It's inadequate because, again, they don't know your body. They don't know your disability. They don't know what you need. So it's best to be specific when you're requesting your reasonable accommodations. And you may already know what those are. Or you may need to spend time in a new job figuring out what the job is like and the responsibilities and the level of work and the duties, whatever the case is, before you're able to have that conversation. But either way, it's really important to try to identify the accommodations that you want to request 
before you have that conversation so that you're able to give them concrete, actionable items that you can have a discussion about rather than expecting them to come up with them because that's just not likely to end as in your favor as you probably would like. And as we mentioned earlier on askjan.org, they do list specific conditions and impairments and they give suggestions for the different kinds of accommodations that you may need in a variety of jobs. So that could be a really helpful starting place to go to if you're like, hmm, I have chronic pain and I could really use an accommodation, but I'm just not sure where to start. Ask Jan. Hello, Jan. Does it say lay down in the nursing room on Ask Jan? I don't think it does. Oh, no, it doesn't. I mean, they were trying. I'll give it to them that they were trying. and and the With their limited concept. They were trying. (laughs) Also, like, the woman was very kind, and she was like, it can be really hard to have an invisible disability. And I was like, oh, my God. Thank you. First person here who said that. But you're not giving me a good solution. So kindness was (laughs) useless. No, kindness was wonderful because I didn't leave there crying. But I also didn't get what I needed. In fact, it was worse because I was better laying off on my I was better off laying down at my desk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Brittany. So as we have established, I have really, 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 really wanted to work from home because that really truly is the best accommodation that for my body, for the frogs that come out of my anus, for the fatigue. For the chronic pain, for the bleeding, for the sobbing, the moaning, the brain fog, you know, for everything. Mm -hmm. The heating pad, then, you know, the vomiting, the crying, the writhing, being really hot, then being really cold. I mean, a huge list of reasons why. Mm -hmm. So here is the million dollar question. I know what I want. I've gone to my employer and I've demanded. No, I have professionally and politely asked. For my reasonable accommodation under the ADA for my medical condition, does my employer have to give me the accommodation that I asked for? If I was like, I want a box of Kleenex, and the Kleenex box has to be pink, and the Kleenexes have to be aloe-infused, and it has to be on the left corner of my desk, not the right corner, and I need a towel on my chair, my own private nursing room. And a box a of handcrafted Swiss chocolates every time I need to use it. <laughs> and when I want them, someone, one of my coworkers has to feed them into my mouth. Like grapes to the gods. <laughs> <laughs> Does my employer have to give me that? If that's what I need, Brittany, if that's what I demand, I mean, ask for. Yeah, duh. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> it depends. The serious answer is it depends. The answer I'd love to give is, what does yeah, it depend duh. on? Everybody it's should have to hand feed you chocolate when you want it. What does it depend on? Depends on my needs. I have needs and I want them met. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. But in terms of the employer. <laughs> I feel like a three-year-old having a tantrum. I okay. need this. All right, Veruca. We got it. <laughs> I know it depends is not a really great answer. It's not a satisfying one. So I'm going to break it down for you. I mean, depends is a great answer when all the frogs are coming out of your butt. <laughs> when I have depends is a di- incontinence. <laughs> depends is a diaper brand here in the United States. So it depends is very helpful at times. Dependable. Very helpful. <laughs> but we're going to talk about two different types of accommodation to start answering that question. So the two types of accommodation are preferred accommodations. Yeah, I want preferred accommodations. And effective accommodations. Oh, yeah. I mean, effective's good. Like, yeah, it's effective. <laughs> I can do my job. But it's not what I want. It's not my preference. You get it? It's like I want it to be preferred and effective. Both. <laughs> I want my preference to be the effective accommodation. So your employer is required to provide you with effective accommodation. But they don't necessarily have to grant your preferred accommodation. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. You lost me at they don't have to give you your preferred accommodation. Well, they are employers. They are businesses. So the employer is always going to look for the easiest, littlest impact and cheapest accommodation that they can make that is adequate, what they would deem as adequate. So to give an example... Say that you propose to your employer for your reasonable accommodation. You have digestive issues and you have to use the bathroom multiple times a day. You have a raging diarrhea. urgency and frequency. Oh, yes, you do. And so you tell your employer, I would like to work remotely from home so that I have access to the toilet at all times and my breaks aren't monitored for the bathroom. And you have a lot of flatulence. Yes. Stinky. Stinky frogs are coming out of the anus. 
So your employer could say, okay, that's your preferred accommodation, but here's our accommodation that we are willing to offer, which is we'll allow you a workstation by yourself closest to the bathroom so that your urgency and frequency can be accommodated for and you have unlimited bathroom breaks and can use the bathroom whenever you need. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> nice that I can use the bathroom whenever I want because I have had jobs where I've had specific break times to use the bathroom. And we do want to say that if you're in a job like that, that is really hard. And we hope that you are able to use the bathroom whenever you need to. But we also understand that that is not the reality of many. There are work. many jobs that are highly regulated with break time and off the desk time or off the floor time. Punch in, punch out, mm -hmm. can't take longer, or you want to take a break and they give you a little break chip and then you have a certain amount of time. And I think that is really, that's a massive really, struggle. Really hard when you have any, I mean, really anything to do with endometriosis, chronic pain, fatigue, digestive issues. So I think the struggle to be able to use the toilet when we want to is is real. And I mean, if the employer says you have unlimited break times and you can sit by the toilet or you can be near the toilet or, you know, if you need to rush off to the toilet, we can have this person suddenly cover you. We can close your register, your department or whatever the case is. I mean, also... And also, we could be jumping for joy with those accommodations. So those could really be the preferred accommodations of many people. They were definitely my preferred accommodations for many years. That was one of the big reasons that I left teaching was just to be able to go to the bathroom whenever I wanted and not go to the bathroom during a 10-minute break once an hour. <laughs> but now Brittany and I are fighting for telework. We just want to work from home. That is our... Big My fight. bowels no longer <laughs> allow themselves to be fit in with a 10-minute break in between anything. So <laughs> We really just want to work from home, especially after lockdown and seeing that work from home was really beneficial for us. That and our was... company was totally fine doing work virtually, so it's a reasonable request in our case. So if you're employer offers those accommodations as the effective accommodations, but that may not mean that they're effective enough for you. So this is where the negotiation process comes in, that conversation of saying, thank you for offering that. That may seem effective to you, but what you may not understand is, you know, these accommodations don't allow for me to spend extended time in the bathroom while completing my work or whatever the case is that you want to have that further conversation with. I have very noisy, messy bathroom time, okay? <laughs> there needs, okay, first of all, it's stinky. Second of all, it's noisy. So when other people Third of all, in, everyone's like, going to know that Ooh. I'm in there all the time using the bathroom. Yeah. And then I need to clean up time after the bathroom. Clean up for me. Sometimes it's messy. Clean up for the ceiling, <laughs> clean up for the stall, and clean up for the floor. So I also need a separate biohazard sink for the dumping of my menstrual cup and all the other things I have to Are clean in there. Are you just going to provide me for a hose that I can just hose down the bathroom and there myself? There needs to be a drain in it. Why is Amy always dripping wet when she comes out of the bathroom? Well, can I have a private shower stall as well. <laughs> so yeah, just because your employer, you, again, your employer doesn't know your body and they're typically going to offer the easiest, cheapest, least impact offer to you. And that offer may be sufficient. You say, okay, great. That totally works for me. But it may not be sufficient. And that's when it's okay to enter into negotiation with expressing what would be an effective accommodation for you and how that would be effective. Brittany, what is considered a reasonable accommodation? Who decides what's reasonable? Because I'm pretty sure that what I think is reasonable is not what my <laughs> what workplace would. HR department often thinks is reasonable. Even though it is very reasonable. So I don't know why they don't think it's reasonable. Why don't we see eye to eye? Because they're unreasonable. What is reasonable? And how come we don't see what's reasonable in my salary and my workload? Mm. Mm, million dollar question. <laughs> fascinating. For Everything a different is episode so at a different time. Unreasonable. <laughs> like, Paying people for their work, that's unreasonable. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. I just want to get paid for the work that I do. Yeah, that's not an unreasonable accommodation. Of. Yeah. <laughs> that's just an unreasonable situation in general. <laughs> that's just the situation of capitalism. <laughs> so, yeah, the key word here when thinking about reasonable accommodation is a term called undue hardship. So undue hardship is what an employer would experience if an accommodation you asked for was unreasonable. So this could be an astronomical expense or removal of an essential job function 
or putting something in place that would either jeopardize the workplace or have an extreme impact on the workplace or the employer. So if you asked your employer to tear your cubicle down and then make you a reclining workstation, that's probably unreasonable. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) If you asked your employer to get you a personal robot assistant, probably unreasonable. (laughs) Please get me that. I'm that for you. What are you talking about? (laughs) True that. So yes, there are reasonable accommodations would be accommodations that don't affect your essential job functions that are not overly costly and do not have a massive negative impact on the workplace or your job itself. So, for example, if part of my job is processing paperwork and then I say that I want to do telework, that wouldn't be reasonable because how would I process the paperwork at the office? Yeah, unless you were able to pick up the paperwork once a week, bring it home, process it, bring it back, then that would be reasonable. But if there's daily paperwork and well, you what have if to I work do from it home every day and then I went in once a week to do the paperwork. Hey, that's also maybe a reasonable accommodation. Depends on how often the paperwork has to get mm-hmm. done. And how it has to get done. Sometimes the reasonable accommodation would be, well, let's scan that paperwork in and it gets sorted digitally instead. There's many ways to make accommodations once that conversation has begun. So think about what you need and what could help you. Let's give a few more examples of reasonable accommodations versus accommodations that would cause undue hardship. So we found these following examples on the website for the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Okay, so first we'll start with a reasonable accommodation. The example is, an employee has cancer and is doing chemotherapy, so they are very fatigued and can't keep up with their regular workload. Let's give the employee a name. Okay. Let's call the employee... Amy. Suki. Okay. (laughs) I knew you'd like that better. That's my cat's name. (laughs) I know. Let's call her Suki. Suki. Okay. Okay. So So the employee is Suki. Suki Wookie has cancer. Yes. Let's not say that. (laughs) That's terrible. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Okay. This Suki has cancer, which is also horrible. The employer decides to offload some of Suki's non-essential work tasks to another employee named John until Suki is done with chemotherapy. John doesn't like this, but the employer assesses that John will be able to do this work along with the marginal tasks from Suki in a workday. So John has to suck it up. So John had enough space in his workload (laughs) to take on these marginal, low-level tasks from Suki. The non-essential tasks. Yes. That's key. Since the employer cannot show significant disruption to its operation, there is no undue hardship. Okay, I'm going to come in now with an example of undue hardship. That is my friendship with you. (laughs) Oh, my. I shall reassess our friendship once this episode is over. Let's say that there is a convenience store clerk named Suki, affectionately known as Suki Wookie. Suki has a lot of jobs. Good for her. (laughs) Suki is a busy, busy bee. Suki has been through the ringer. (laughs) So there is a convenience store clerk named Suki with with chronic illness. And... She asked to work part-time instead of full-time due to her disability. Now, the store only has two clerks on per shift. So if she works part-time, then the other clerk, John, will have to do much more work. In fact, too much work for him to do. He can't do two registers at once, one hand and the other hand? (laughs) No. Talk to two people at once? No, he can't do the register and stock the food. He can't, you know, he can't do the register. He can't do the register. Oh, we're not to the splitting of body yet and (laughs) duplicating ourselves. Okay, gotcha. So if Suki works part-time, then this will actually impact the business because the store will not have the personnel needed to serve the customers and keep the shelves stocked and and keep the store clean and maintain the store security and all the other tasks that... Suki and John do during their shift. So this is a case where the employer can show undue hardship based on the significant disruption to its operations, and therefore the employer can refuse to reduce Suki's hours as a disability accommodation. But, 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 the employer should still look for what other accommodations could help Suki that wouldn't cause their business hardship. So even though they can't provide that accommodation, they should still work with Suki to try to give 
an effective accommodation, but one that is reasonable and that would not provide the undue hardship on the business. All right, so we're going to do another reasonable example. So Suki, again, Suki of many jobs, (laughs) is a computer programmer that has to work with her team to develop software. Sounds fun. They have to do certain tasks together as a group as well as individual work. They meet every morning to do the group work. Suki wants to adjust her schedule to start and end work later. That wouldn't cause the employer undue hardship and impact the business functions because the group can just meet later in the morning to do their group work. They don't have to do it at 9 a.m. like they've been accustomed to doing it. Yeah, even though they may want to do it at 9 a.m., they don't have to. We get that change is hard for a lot of people, but change is healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I have an example of undue hardship. There was once a cat named Suki, Wookie, who is a crane operator. Yep, those paws, she got her paws on a crane. She grow opposable thumbs? (laughs) (laughs) She's just that smart. It's telekinetic, I think. So Suki wants to start work an hour later. She wants to start work at 8 a.m. instead of at 7 a.m. But when Suki operates the crane, three other people are dependent on her crane operation to do their job. So if Suki comes in an hour late, then those three other people who come in at 7 are not going to be able to do their work for an hour until Suki arrives to operate the crane. So in this case, her coworkers literally depend on her being there at the same time as them. So it's not like the example Brittany gave when it's like they have to do some teamwork together, but they can really do it at any time within, you know, the workday. In this case, it is very structured and they all have to be there at the same time at seven because the three people's job depends on Suki operating the crane. So what can we do? The employer can you know, make the other three people also change their hours to come at 8 o'clock with Suki. Or the other three people can come in at 7 but then do nothing for an hour. So therefore, because of that undue hardship, because of that challenge that's presented to the business, if Suki were to come in an hour later, then the employer can deny the requested accommodations because it would cause the business undue hardship. But once again, the employer should look into what accommodations could possibly be made to help Suki in her situation. So I guess it's important to remember that each employer decides what would cause undue hardship in their company. And if they can't grant a request for accommodations because it's deemed undue hardship, they still need to work with the employee to find effective accommodations that are reasonable and don't cause undue hardship. But the employers typically, when discussing the accommodations, like we said before, they're typically going to look at the cost and pick the least costly and the one that has the least negative impact on your job or the company. And honestly, probably the one that they're just most comfortable with, because I feel like in terms of the battle, the the great battle for telework (laughs) that Brittany and I are engaging in, it's like, even though... We have just done telework because of lockdown for a year and a half. It's like, oh, but we're not comfortable with telework, even though everyone was working perfectly fine. No one's, and we were doing like double O shift because we were all understaffed. But anyhow, <laughs> what do I know? What do we know as people who have done the job? <laughs> what the do past? I know as a worker who's been doing this work? <laughs> Jeez, nothing how, apparently. How unreasonable to ask me? Let me tell you. But <laughs> got a lot. Well, of, when you're a boss, got can... a lot of work anger inside. But I feel like a lot of times the workplaces only want to give accommodations that they feel comfortable with. So it's like, yeah, but even though we've been doing telework, we really don't want anyone to be doing telework. Because being in the office means you have the most collaboration and the best teamwork. Like, oh, give me a break. So I also think a lot of times with accommodation entering into that negotiation stage may be necessary because your workplace just may not feel comfortable giving you an accommodation that you feel is reasonable and that, you know, you can make a case for and you can, like what Brittany said, maybe you do have to do paperwork, but you've been doing the job for a while and you know that the paperwork does not have to be done every day. It can be done twice a week. And so you want to stay home and work from home doing all your other tasks and then come into the office twice a week for just a couple of hours and do that paperwork. And you know that that is reasonable. That costs the employer 
no money and that has no impact on the employer and on the company because the work is still getting done. It's just you're doing some of the work in a different place. So you may need to be prepared to advocate for yourself and to fight for what you want. And I think that can be really hard and that can be really scary and that can make us feel really uncomfortable and that can give us a lot of fears that we're asking for too much and that we, you know, could be fired at will. And there's, it's really, really complex. We're going to talk, as we said in part two, about like, about advocating for ourselves and standing up for what we need. But Brit and I also know that these are really scary conversations to be had. And sometimes we just want to take the, what our employer gives us. That's what I did for years. I just took the table scraps that they gave me because I was scared. So it's, it is really hard. And I think the more that we're empowered, the more that we know about the ADA if we're living in the United States, and the more confidence we can have in ourselves and what we ask for can really, really change the way the conversation goes. And I'm really excited to go into more depth about that in part two, because Brittany and I are fired up and we are ready to ask for what we need, which is really scary, but we're going to do it and we are doing it. We're ready. Yeah. I do want to say something is that, you know, Brittany and I have been saying that there are HR departments out there that they don't really know how to deal with an accommodation request. And and your company may not even have an HR department. Oh. Which is even worse, but a reality in many companies. they may have supervisors, bosses, and department heads that have had no leadership training whatsoever. And are not (laughs) even aware of the laws that they may be breaking by saying no to you. Oh, isn't that fun? Not really. Nope. Been there many times. And so it's it's really hard. I mean, the the workplace waters are really hard. But what is nice about AskJan.org is that they have a section for workplaces. And so if your workplace is just like does not know how to negotiate with you and is just denying all these reasonable requests or saying like, no, we can't do that or we don't have to do that. They're not even offering, you know, they're not even giving you something that is an effective accommodation versus preferred. You're like, I prefer this, but okay, this is effective. So I guess I'll have to go with this because, you know, at least that's going to allow me to do my job. Like if they're just like totally not working with you or they are trying to work with you, but they're maybe lost in the process. AskJan.org has an entire section for employers. That can be something that you send, you know, a link to your employer during this negotiation process. Like if you think that they need to read more about accommodations and the ADA and Title I and discrimination, then those resources are also available for employers on the AskJan website. I wouldn't just like send that off the bat. I'd be like, I'm requiring accommodations under the ADA, and here is a website where you can learn about it. I wouldn't just send it off the bat. Let's not insult them (laughs) off the get. That's not going to get us anywhere good. But if you get stuck and it seems like they need it, you can offer that up like, hey, there's a really great website with information for employers about reasonable accommodations. Would you like me to send that to you? Something to also be aware of is that your employer may request for medical documentation or medical proof. And they do have the right to do that with some caveats. So they do have the right to do that, especially if your disability or the accommodations that you need are invisible or not obvious. So they would use this medical documentation to confirm. I get it. Yeah, they want to confirm that that I'm not a big fat liar. Yes, that's Mm -hmm. exactly what they want. So, but what they shouldn't ask for is your complete medical history. They don't need that. They don't need everything that happened from the time you were an infant up until this point. They don't need all of your ABCs, XYs, and Zs. I mean, I don't know if they have enough storage right? <laughs> that they pay. Like, I don't know if they have enough cloud storage or even physical office space storage to store all of those medical documents. So they probably don't want my infancy to now anyhow. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to work through. The request for your medical records or any medical documentation should be specific to what you're talking about, what you need accommodation for. And if they ask for your entire medical records or to see all of your medical history, it's okay to tell them that you'd rather provide only what's applicable, only what's relevant, or you can provide a doctor's note that explains specifically the symptoms of the disability that you are requesting accommodations for. So you don't have to provide everything under the sun to them about your medical history. 
When I asked for medical accommodation, my employer actually gave me a two-page document for the doctor to fill out. And it was from, ooh, you know what website. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Askjan.org. They have really good stuff on this website, honestly. I feel like we're mouthpieces for it, but it's a great website. And actually, we went over part of this document when we did the first episode in this series on explaining disability under the ADA. But it was just a really simple document that the doctor had to fill out if the employee had an impairment, and then what specific major life activities or major major bodily functions that the impairment or condition substantially affected. And then on the back of the document, it talked about what accommodations could help me succeed in my job. Now, this part was kind of interesting because the doctor doesn't know my job and the doctor doesn't know what I need. So what I did was I actually... When I made an appointment, and I actually made an appointment with my primary care physician because my endospecialist had like a three-month wait <laughs> to see him for an appointment. And we're not waiting And months. I was like, oh, I'm not <laughs> waiting. So I went to the primary care physician that I just see like once in a while. I basically said, you know, my other doctor had a long wait and you, you have on record that I have endometriosis and it's affecting me substantially and I really need reasonable accommodations at my workplace in order to keep up my job performance. And and then I said, I've actually already filled this form out for you. And here it is. But I've also, a, I've also brought a blank copy if you would like to fill it out yourself. And then the doctor and I had a brief conversation about it. You know, she looked it over and she was like, this looks fine. And she signed it. Whereas Brittany went to her <laughs> PCP with hers filled out, and the doctor said, no, I, I don't want to take it already filled out from you, but let's have a conversation about it. So the doctor looked it over with Brittany, read everything, and then they were able Added to Added her chat. own notes. <laughs> yeah, and then her doctor filled it out for Brittany based on the feedback from Brittany about what Brittany needed. Because, again, it's like I totally understand that the employer needs proof of my medical condition. Like actually, when I asked for a combination to work from home for my medical condition, I actually attached a document that said I had a diagnosis of endometriosis and they sent me back this document for the ADA and the reasonable accommodations that the doctor had to fill out. So it's like you could go to your doctor, but your doctor doesn't know what you need because your doctor is not working at your job. Your doctor doesn't know your body. Your doctor doesn't know your specific case. I mean, yes, they're with you and they have notes and they have your medical history, but They're not living in your body. And so once more, we really just want to encourage you that if you have to have your doctor fill out the form in order for the HR department to give you the accommodations, don't be afraid to state what you need and have that conversation with the doctor to firmly let them know, like, this is what I need. I need to sit by the toilet because I have urgency and frequency all day long. I really need to work from home because I am so fatigued that I can barely lift my arms to drive to work. I can barely lift myself out of the bed, but I can work laying down from bed all day long on my computer. So knowing the accommodations that you need and being able to express them to your HR department, to your doctor, to try to get that medical accommodation if necessary is really, really helpful. And to tack on to the discussion we're having about access to medical records, our employer actually also did provide a form to us that released access to our doctor and medical records, which Amy and I both decided to decline to sign, which was totally fine with our employer. And our form that was filled out with the doctor's information and accommodations was found to be sufficient for them. So don't feel like you don't have the power to talk about whether or not you want to share something or the power to decline completing something or signing away. Everything is up for negotiation in this process. You just have to be willing to talk about it. Okay, Brittany, let me know. We have requested accommodations with our workplace and they've listened and they're like, if you strongly believe that you have a disability, you can fill out this medical paperwork. Oh, um, I think mine said that. Mm. Mm, Rings a bell. Fascinating. No, okay. So we have asked for accommodation with our workplace. We've gotten medical documentation filled out. We've given it to the employer. We're all like, ooh, ooh, I'm going to get the reasonable accommodation that I need. It's going to help me succeed at my job. It's going to be great. I stood up for myself. I advocate. I'm feeling empowered. And boom, your employer comes back and they're like, 
we're denying your accommodation request. And you're like, what the fudge monkey? That's yeah. when you definitely flick them in the nose and you're yeah. just like, <laughs> flick, 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 flick. You're like, I will not stop flicking you until you give me my reasonable accommodation. <laughs> give me my accommodation. Definitely Why not. is it so hard to get what I need in this ableist world? Why? Mm-hmm. Why am I well, always I think you hit the nail on the head there. All the time. Because we live in an ableist world. For what I need. Why can't I just get what I need? Why can't there just never be gonna equitable access? That's never going to happen. Get over that. <laughs> okay. You're right. Okay. I'm prepared for the fights that I don't want to have because I'm really exhausted from endometriosis. <laughs> well, the first part of the fight is to continue the conversation, is to not just say, oh, okay, and take that as it is. You may need to say, oh, okay, for now, because you may have an emotional response to that, and you may need to take some time to regroup and tend to those feelings because that can be a really traumatic time to pull yourself together to be able to continue moving forward Mm -hmm. in a professional manner yes so it's okay to take a pause but i would definitely say that the best move is to continue to move forward and get it in writing yes get it in writing everything in writing you just so write you, them back you're like why did you deny me exactly you budge monkey <laughs> Well, that's going to be my first tip is to GIF. ask them why. Send a, send a gif of a monkey flicking someone in the forehead. <laughs> or Amy, we'll make one. We'll make a gif for everybody. <laughs> you need a gif of someone flicking someone in the forehead. Just Amy flicking me. me in the forehead. Yeah, that, we know. But yes, that's that's the first thing is to immediately get in writing. So I would make sure this is an email correspondence. Why the accommodation and ask them to be specific. Why the accommodation was denied. What was the reason for the denial of the accommodation? And the answer cannot be just because. Nope. And it can't just be because <laughs> we don't do that here. Because we said so. Any kind of corporate speak, all the fancy corporate speak for we just don't want to do it. That's not That's Not, not a acceptable reason. here. We need a real reason why. For example, your medical documentation wasn't signed. Well, why did you just say that? Why did you deny it? Why did you say, we can approve this when your medical because documentation is Because they love to signed. make you terrified. <laughs> they love to make you jump through hoops that you don't even know existed. <laughs> they could say that your request is an undue hardship, which we spoke about earlier, making it unreasonable. And it may be time for you to look into considering alternatives. Fine, I will take my cubicle next to the bathroom. I get it. You won't build me a cubicle in the bathroom. <laughs> I get that that is an undue You won't hardship. build a toilet in my cubicle <laughs> I either. Want... <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> Soundproof cubicle with toilet. Yes, please. That's not an undue hardship. That's not costly. No. <laughs> it's just like, can you just stick a porta potty? In my cubicle. That'd be great. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, with the the (laughs) desk over the lap. That's the thing they don't get is sometimes I'm on the toilet for so long that I start working from the toilet. I need to be able to work from the toilet. (laughs) They don't get it. (laughs) I run a retractable table that comes down in the toilet stall that will allow me to rest the laptop there instead of on my legs. Mm -hmm. So after you've understood the reason for the denial of the accommodation, so if it's something like, Missing some documentation, needing an extra signature, rectify that first, see if that takes care of the denial, or navigating and negotiating alternate accommodations like tweaks that may allow the accommodation to work for both you and the employer. And then if the accommodation still isn't met or they're not willing to change their denial or the reason is something like, we don't want to, (laughs) we're not able to, or this this feels like special treatment, whatever the kind of made-up reason is, then at that point, escalation could be your next step. Well, you just mentioned special treatment, and I just want to come in and say that accommodations are not special treatment, and your employer may look at them that way, and they may say, look, if we give you this special thing like working from home or endless bathroom breaks or flexible schedule, or anti-fatigue mats, or whatever other thing, then we'll have to give it to everyone. Well, if you can find a way to give everyone my chronic illness or disability, (laughs) then yeah, you can give everybody that because it's no longer special treatment. Exactly. It's accommodations. It's what you need in order to perform your job at the level of everyone else who does not need accommodation. It's not special treatment. 
It's in order to make your work accessible for you. And they're individual. So just because you have an accommodation in place doesn't mean that everyone else suddenly has a right to do that exact same thing because it's what, is, it's what you need to do your job. And maybe I'm sitting in my workplace with endometriosis and you're sitting in your workplace with endometriosis and we have two different, very, very different accommodations in place, even though we're at the same job, because we have different bodies and we have different needs. So even they don't have to give the same, they don't have to say, well, I have another person who has digestive issues and that works for them. So that should work for you. It's like, no, that's not working for me because I don't have their body. That's that. No, that's not how it works. Humans love to cookie cutter. And sometimes you have to point out that everybody's body is different and what works for one person does not equal what works for another. And we're not working on elementary school logic here where when you pull out the piece of gum, you have to make sure you have gum for everyone in the class. That's not how this works. We're adults. And what we're seeking isn't special attention, special accommodations, favors. We're seeking accommodations for our medical disabilities or impairments. And if that kind of response, well, you don't deserve special treatment, we don't give special treatment. If that's the retort that you receive, then it's it's definitely something to have reinforced that this is for a medical need. And this has nothing to do with special treatment. And I also think that goes for with your coworkers, because when I used to stay home for a day because of my period or I would during my period, I really still needed to stay home, but I wasn't able to stay home. But I was able to come in a little bit later and work later. Hmm. Better than nothing, I suppose, but was not what I needed. But, you know, sometimes coworkers would make comments like, oh, why do you get to come in late? And it can be really hard when you maybe are already feeling insecure about your accommodations or, you know, you don't want to give details about your chronic illness. I don't want to talk about my endometriosis at work. I don't want to tell everyone, oh, I have endo or I have a disability or I pooed myself and that's why I'm late is because I had to then clean it up and then I bled all over myself and then I had to take a shower. And then like, I don't want everyone to know how many pads I have in my underwear because of my bleeding, you know, so. You can respond simply by saying, oh, I have an accommodation in place and leave it at that if you want. Or if the person's really kind of rude about it. You could say, oh, I have an accommodation in place. If you have concerns, you can go talk to HR because HR can't talk about your personal reasons, but they can have a conversation about not being ableist and hurtful in the workplace <laughs> with that person. <laughs> mm, I'm not sure if many HR departments are no, this is to This a... is wishful thinking. Oh, this is in the ideal <laughs> yeah. world. But they will have a conversation with them about things that are not their business. That is typical HR fashion. It's not their business that somebody has accommodations in place, so they won't discuss those with them. But the person will know, you know, that they can't really get anywhere just by complaining about it. So it's not special treatment. It's accommodations. And that is really the distinction. And so we can hold that with confidence. This is not special treatment. These are necessary medical accommodations. Boom. I'm going to get that tattooed on my back (laughs) as I very slowly hunched over from pain walk away from them. I'm like, hey, read my back a hundred times because I'm walking so slowly. (laughs) (laughs) Medically necessary accommodations. I went on my forearm so I can pull it out like a badge or a business card. Medically necessary accommodations. (laughs) So if after that conversation or the conversation, the employer says something like, we don't give special treatment here, or, or whomever you made the request of says, we don't give special treatment here, a good next step could be escalating your request. So if you were discussing that with your supervisor, maybe the escalation is to HR. If you were discussing that with your HR partner, maybe it's going to their supervisor or the head of HR. This could look like going up the chain, depending on the size of your business. That could look very different on what the escalation looks like internally, but that can often lead to a larger conversation a conversation that involves people who may know the law better or know reasonable accommodations better hopefully. Uh, But when escalating, this can oftentimes yield a conversation that could have a different result. So we want to talk for a minute about telework or virtual work, working remotely as a reasonable accommodation. And I think many people with chronic illness really want to do remote work because it really works for our body. Now, of course, not everyone wants to do 
remote work. And a lot of us are in professions where remote work just isn't possible because there are things that we have to do on site. Like we may work in a store or in a school, in a salon or in a factory or in a restaurant. There are so many different types of jobs out there that we may need to be in person or we may just like to be in person and we don't want to work remotely. But I also think that there's a lot of us who do want to do remote work because remote work may be able to open doors for us if we have chronic pain and we have chronic fatigue, that it can be really, really hard to get to the office, to get ready, to commute, to be under those draining lights and saying hi to everyone and answering the question, how are you? And using the bathroom at the workplace when you really just want privacy and being able to lay down while you work. And I know for me, there's like a hundred million reasons why I want to work from home. And as Brit and I were saying earlier, when we were experiencing work from home for about 18 months during lockdown, we saw a pretty drastic improvement in how we felt. I mean, I didn't feel like great or anything. It wasn't like, I'm healed. <laughs> it's like, suddenly I'm better. But it was like from a 0% to like, ooh. A 40? Oh, oh, that was significant. You know, it's pretty significant. Yeah, it was a big deal. I was just surprised at how much every single day I wasn't having certain symptoms because I was able to eat from home. When I felt tired, I could just lay down all day in bed. Like I didn't have a panic attack every day and pace my room for hours after work. I mean, it was a big difference. I didn't come home and just like collapse in the hallway and crawl to my bed and not be able to do any other activities. I wasn't dizzy from undereating because eating at work made me have really severe stomach issues. You know, those kinds of things. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, of course, that improved the work that we did. So we felt better and then we could give better work for the company. So it was pretty weird. Isn't that what they want? The best work from us? You know, that's what I, anybody wants. I think so. Because I think a lot of companies are like, we don't care how you feel as long as you get the work done. Yeah. And I say that because even people who are not disabled, who are not with chronic illness, I mean, we see how hard many corporations have their employers working overtime, nights and weekends, without any compensation, without pay. Because the workload is just so high. It's like, well, we don't care if our employees burn out because when you quit, we'll just get another one. I think there are a lot of employers and a lot of workplaces that just like really don't care about your health. And that actually really affects people who don't have chronic illness and who are not disabled. But then when you have chronic illness or you are disabled and you're working in a workplace like that, it's just like completely unsustainable. And it's like, I can't do this. Like, I can barely get to work and work there for eight hours plus an hour for the lunch break, I can barely do that, let alone, like, it's just impossible. And so for me and Brittany, telework has become revolutionary, and we only want to work remotely from here out, and I don't know if that's going to be possible. But yeah, you never know what's available in the field that you want to go into, but more and more companies are recognizing that telework and virtual work offers accessibility in ways that they didn't even realize before. And a lot of employers and workplaces and articles are coming out about how virtual work puts employees on an even playing field and leads to more collaboration and better product, higher production, higher value, and makes employees feel like they are humanized and seen as people and allowed to be in control of their own work which is something that Amy and I can attest to that pre-pandemic, it felt like we were cogs in a machine and nobody cared that we were suffering. Nobody cared that we were so ill every day because we were just there to work. And now the humanization. As long as you get your work exactly. done, you little worker bee. <laughs> That's all Who we were. Who cares if you're drinking poison every day from the flower pollen? Who cares <laughs> if you're crying in your office every day? We don't because we want you to just do your work through the tears. But a lot of companies, really great companies, are seeing how offering employees a better work-life balance actually leads to highly increased productivity. So it's actually in a business's best interest if virtual work works for the business, so most office jobs, 
that it actually is better for the health of the company and for the business. And of course, not every company is on the cutting edge like that. <laughs> but even massive, Sorry, large just companies. Thinking of my own company. Yeah, here. Thinking of our own. Who knows if we can have virtual work forever, but I think the chances now are much higher than they ever could have been before. So what we want to say about this is that we're going to link in the show notes an article from equipforequality.org, and it's just all about telework, and I found it really, really helpful. And it basically explains telework as a reasonable accommodation. And it just has questions on there like, does my employer have to give me telework if I request it? And once more, it comes down to the idea of the reasonable accommodation under the ADA. And so for some jobs, working from home, you know, working remotely can be a reasonable accommodation, but for other jobs, it may not be. And I think some factors that go into whether or not virtual work or working from home is a reasonable accommodation is if you can do all of the essential job functions from your home. So if you're at home working blissfully, Ah, so blissfully, but you're not able to do the paperwork or you're not able to, you know, meet and greet the clients, then probably it's, you know, it's not going to, it's not reasonable because you cannot do the essential job functions. Other things they may take into consideration is if you've ever worked from home before, hopefully you can set up a trial period with your workplace. And if the trial period goes well and you're able to keep up on your work, then that could maybe something you can continue moving forward. But of course, if you set up telework as a trial period and that doesn't go well, then, you know, they may not consider that reasonable because your work is no longer getting done. And of course, uh, there's always the whole effective versus preferred accommodations. And while working from home may be your preferred accommodation, your employer may come up with another accommodation that is equally effective although not your preferred accommodation. So let's say that, you know, you have insomnia and you have a really hard time getting up in the morning. So you ask your employer to be able to work from home because that allows you to sleep in later because you don't have to get ready and commute and go to work. And that allows you to work from in your bed in the morning. And your employer could say, "Mm, an effective accommodation, well, that could work, but an effective accommodation is that you change your hours. And so if you can't get up in the morning instead of starting work at 7.30, why don't you start work at 10 o'clock and we work from 10 to 7. And you're like, that's not what I want. <laughs> that's not what it's I want. It's effective, but it's not what I wanted. <laughs> it's effective, but I really don't want that. <laughs> and then maybe you could enter into that negotiation, that interactive process with your work and say, I completely hear you. I can see you want me to be at work. Is it possible to do telework in the morning from 8 to 12 and then come into the office after my lunch break from 1 to 5, for example? So hopefully you can really negotiate with the employer and engage in that interactive process and get the accommodations that you need that are effective and are your preferred accommodations. Because honestly, Brittany, I want nothing more than for you to be successful at work, but also for you to be comfortable at work. But we live in these bodies that it can be really difficult to live in our bodies. Like I am uncomfortable in my own skin pretty much all the time. Like I'm sitting here accommodated for (laughs) uncomfortable in my own skin. (laughs) Like even when I'm trying to relax, I'm just like not comfortable for some reason or another. Amy and I often message each other. I'm laying here in bed and I should be comfortable, but nothing feels good. (laughs) It's just not not in the cards for some of us. Have you ever watched a commercial and you see, you know, a person get in a bed and it looks like the fluffiest, most comfortable bed and they like curl up in the blankets and they have a smile on their face, and it like looks like the most joyful experience. I have never, ever felt that way in my bed, ever. And I'm so jealous. Every time I see that in a movie, a commercial, a TV show, I just want to be them, okay? Just one time. And then you glance over at your pet, who is in like complete bliss, <laughs> who's so relaxed. You're like, I could literally drop a brick on you right now. <laughs> and, like, and you would have right. no idea. Like, you are so vulnerable oh, with your belly exposed. They're so I could lucky. stomp on you. 
Oh, and they're all like, oh, I'm so comfy. I'm still comfy. It's fine. In the home of my parents. And you're like, why can't I be you? Like, <laughs> how come I can't be that comfortable? How come I can't stretch out like that? My dog loves to add insult to injury because her favorite place in the house at all times is the place that I just left. So if I got oh, out yeah. of bed, her favorite place is in the warm spot in my bed. If I just got off the couch, her favorite place is the warm spot on the couch. But when she lays there or sits there, she always looks like she is purely blissed out. And I'm like, why can't I be that comfortable in that spot? That's not fair. You're just making it worse. You're rubbing salt in the wound. She doesn't know. She's so cute. I don't get mad. But it hurts, okay? (laughs) We hope that this episode has helped give you ideas for accommodation. We hope that it's helped you feel a little more comfortable navigating any accommodation request process, negotiating with your employer. We, we really encourage you to use the resources available at askjan.org and a couple of other websites that we put in the show notes today. The more knowledge we have, the more confident we can feel. And I think that is really, really important when asking for accommodations is feeling empowered to do so. And as I've said multiple times this episode is because I'm really excited for next week's episode because I'm really excited to talk about feeling confident because I've felt unconfident. I have lacked confidence for like all of my life. And because of that, I haven't been able to ask for what I need. And because of that, I haven't gotten what I needed. And now I'm finally, finally asking for what I need. And sometimes I'm not getting what I need, even though I ask for it. But a lot of times I am getting what I need. And I wish I had learned to ask for what I need sooner. I wish I had been empowered to ask for what I need sooner. And I wish I just had asked anyway, even though I was really scared. I think one of the greatest things that I can probably speak for Amy here as well, things that I've learned in my life is to remember that this is the only life I have. And this job that I'm at is where I'm at right now. And this experience that I'm having is the experience I'm having right now. And to remember that holding myself back or not asking for the things that I need doesn't necessarily affect the people around me, but it affects my life. It affects my happiness. It affects my joy. It affects how I affect other people. It affects what I'm getting out of my life. And it took a long time to realize that I have the ability and it's okay for me to express what I need because the things that I need can be given to me in some of these situations. As long as it's reasonable, Brittany, reasonable. it doesn't have undue hardship. And the employer... I, have, I ask lots of undue hardship on Amy, but not of my employer. <laughs> and the employer is comfortable with it. Yes. That's not actually a thing under the law. It's like, I don't care if you're uncomfortable no, with me that's working not from permitted. home. If it is reasonable and co- doesn't cause undue hardship and I can do my job. From home, why the heck? And that means can't it's I work reasonable. From home, I'm escalating this <laughs> conversation. So yeah, I just wish I had learned that a, a long time ago that I was worth asking for these things because I deserve to feel as good as I can. And we spend so much time at work, so much. Time. It's like a third of our lives, more than that. And it's hard. Working is so it's so draining and hard. exhausting, and mentally so, and emotionally. And so is having endometriosis. Mm-hmm. So if we can get an accommodation that we need that can help us have better performance at work, that can help us arrive home from work less exhausted, let's ask for that. It's worth trying. It's worth giving it a shot. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'm sure, like many of you, for years, my whole life has revolved around my job because in order to have the energy to go to work every single day, I had to sacrifice everything else in my life. All I could do was focus on my work as in, not that I worked all the time, but that in order to be able to go to work Monday through Friday from nine to five, that meant that when I got home from work, I immediately had to get into bed because I had no more energy. And then when I recovered just a little bit, I had to cook my food for the next day so that I could bring my food with me to work so that I could have you know, try to avoid all the digestive problems and the migraines and the bloating and the blah, blah, blah. Everything just cycled around dealing with work. (laughs) revolved around work. And when the weekend came, it was like, I have to recoup. Grocery shop, prep for the week, make sure that my body is in enough condition to get there. Yeah, it's a huge burden that other people don't have to think about. And oftentimes our employers aren't aware of these burdens that we bear. 
with chronic illness. It's not out of malice that accommodations are hard to come by. It's just out of a lack of understanding what other people are going through. And that's why there's this framework in place. That's why Ask Jan exists. That's why we're talking about it in this episode. Because employers may be unfamiliar, may be unaware, and resources exist in order to empower us to get what we need and to ask for what we need. And I want to add to that. I want to finish my thought that Brittany interrupted, but with really good content and information. (laughs) So I'll allow it. But what I want to say is that I've always been doing a good job at my work at the expense of the rest of my life because I've put work first, which maybe I shouldn't have done, but that's what I've done all this time. And so when I asked for accommodation, I felt kind of like, hmm, do I need this? And, you know, my workplace was like, well, you've never needed this before. And then I thought about it. It was like, I do need this because I need to do this because I shouldn't be puking in my garbage can at my cubicle. I shouldn't be passing out in the work bathroom. I shouldn't be having coworkers drive me home during flares when I can't drive myself. I shouldn't be worried that I'm literally going to crash my car on the way home because I'm driving with so much fatigue at the end of my workday. And I shouldn't be fasting all day and not eating when I'm near my period so that I don't spend hours having diarrhea in the work toilet. I shouldn't be walking down the halls hunched over. I shouldn't be hiding in a bathroom stall having a breakdown about how emotionally exhausted I am. Instead, I should be at home. In those moments, I can be at home working, adjusting my hours, adjusting if I'm working, for example, from the toilet or laying down. I should be able to adjust around my illness and have disability accommodations. So yeah, while I've had a great work performance without disability accommodations, there has been so much self-sacrifice to do that. And I should not have had to make these personal sacrifices and literally be in hell in order to do a good job at work. And I can't do it anymore. It's not sustainable. And I never should have had to do it in the first place. And what got me into the office was willpower and determination and wanting to get paid, of course, because I have tons of medical bills and medical debt, and also fear, fear because I don't want to lose my job, which pays for my medical bills, my medical debt. (laughs) And I just, I literally, I cannot fathom how I went to the office in some of these situations, like how I went to the office after my surgery and I napped on blankets on the floor of Brittany's office and I could not even bend down at the time. Like Brittany literally had to like, like make her bed. <laughs> no. And I, yeah. And she had to like help me up and down. Like once I got on the floor, I could she not, was down. <laughs> I could not get up again. Like Brittany had to like pull me up because my, literally my abdomen would not bend for like two months after surgery. I should have had accommodations in these situations, accommodations after my surgery. I should have had accommodations in place under the ADA. So I say all of this because even if you're able to get your work done without accommodations, like I was able to do, if disability accommodations are going to improve your quality of life during work hours and outside of work hours, then you need them and don't be afraid to ask for them. So often we undervalue what we need. In Amy's case, yeah, it's true that she'd been doing the same job without accommodations, but it's also true that she absolutely needed them and needs them now. And if you told a non-disabled person or non-chronically ill person what you go through to do your job, they would probably be horrified, like absolutely horrified what you had to sustain just to do your job. But we normalize our experiences and diminish them. And then we don't want to be a burden and we feel guilty and we don't want to bother anyone. And so many more of those feelings creep in for us. And when we're in a situation like Amy was passing out at work, but saying, well, I'm able to do my job. So maybe I pass out and stuff and puke in a garbage can and crash my car accidentally on the way home (laughs) (laughs) once or twice. Yeah, But I don't I don't do I really need accommodations because I'm okay, right? Yes. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you did. And you do. Need accommodations. And you can get them under the law. So no more pushing ourselves to the breaking point day after day. Okay, Amy? I was starting to get 
a back issue from picking you up off the ground all the time. Okay, I was about to need You're accommodations like, okay, for that. If you didn't ask for accommodations for yourself because of your self-worth and you're like, do I really need these? And ask for them for then ask me. for me, for my poor back. So my back will stop going out. Spasming. <laughs> no, yes, I agree. I agree. And it's been hard to get here, I think, emotionally and to value myself and to understand that, that yes, I need these accommodations and I can ask for them. And I'm going, that it's okay to ask for them. Yeah, and I'm gonna st- I'm going to stop undervaluing myself, and I'm gonna ask for what I need. So, for whatever reason that you might need accommodations, we just want you to know that you're worth it, and your needs matter. And we hope that today, going over the ADA, even if you live in another country that's not the United States has just given you a better understanding of the kind of negotiations that you could get into with your employer. And if you live in the United States, the kind of reasonable accommodations that you can ask for under the law. So think about your ideal work situation. And it has to be a work situation. Everybody's ideal work situation is not having to work (laughs) and being able to Uh sustain our lives without work. But think about an ideal work situation, even if you are not currently working or you're not currently working at a place that you enjoy, whatever the case is, it's a dream job, okay? Think of an ideal dream job situation. What accommodations should be in place in an ideal workplace that would make it accessible for you? Just in a, a dream world, an ideal world, what accommodations would just come as part of this dream job That would make it accessible for you. I think it's kind of fun to think about that sometimes. It helped me frame what was helpful for me in my conversation with my employer, but it also helped me to understand how there are so many barriers in place for so many types of people. And accessible workplaces are something that hopefully society can work towards in the future. So it's a a fun homework assignment to just think about that, dream about it, be creative. Let us know your ideal situation. We are on the website in 16years.com. That's where you'll find all the resources that we use today. And we're on Instagram at in16yearsofendo. We invite you to flick your self. Yes. Best friend (laughs) in the notes. Not your HR department. (laughs) No. (laughs) If you want that gif of me flicking Brittany in the forehead, definitely reach out to us. We'd be so happy to provide that. Or sometimes just flick the air. It feels good. It's the feeling of the finger against the thumb flicking is just satisfying. Go for it. (laughs) All right. Talk to you later.